The sun did not shy. It was too sad to play. So we sat online all that sad, horrible day. I sat there with Steve. We sat there, we two. And I said, oh, how I wish we had something to review. So all we could do was to sit, 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 sit. And we did not like it, not one little bit. And then something went bump. How that bump made us jump. We looked. Then we saw him step on the mat. We looked, and we saw him, the cat in the hat. And he said to us, Why do you sit there like that? I know it is wet, and the sun is not sunny, but we can watch this movie. That is funny. But he lied to us. It wasn't funny. It wasn't even the cat in the hat. It was, it was Mike Myers wrapped in fur, and he was coming for us. He was coming for I got nothing. I'm not so good with the rhyming. Not really. No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I'm Jason Harding. Um, and I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie, in theory, and give it a fresh review to see if it holds up uh-huh. to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is awful. It's so bad, right? Right? Right, Steve? Oh, Oh, yeah, 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 I'd say so. Some of you might be thinking, why are you reviewing bad movies? Well, because bad movies are just as instructive as good movies, right, Steve? Absolutely. Sometimes more instructive, because then you can point at the things that hurt you bad (laughs) and say, this is why this is bad. And so when other people say, I like that movie, you can smash them in the face with a shovel, and you won't feel guilty at all because you know you're right, right, Steve? (laughs) You mean like rhetorically speaking? Even the little kids... Even the ones that say, I love this movie, it's my favorite. No one's going to miss them. Their parents will probably be happy, because they had to sit there and watch it with them. Metaphorically speaking, I mean, well, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not advocating that we actually smash children with shovels. No. I'm giving you an out. You gave me an out, and I said okay, no. Okay, good. For legal reasons. Yes. No. For legal no. reasons, we are not advocating violence against people that like this movie. That's right, because we don't advocate violence ever. Nope. Violence never solved anything. So, Steve, what movie Uh, almost caused my um, my uh, legal slip up? (laughs) Why? What? What other movie could it be? Steve is. I am the deranged Pinocchio, and Steve is my equally deranged Jiminy, who knows a little (laughs) bit more about what it means to say things on air that might. Someone might wind up in in court saying, these guys made me do it. I want... These two guys. If we ever do anything together, like live on stage, I want us to be introduced as a deranged Pinocchio and an equally deranged Jiminy. (laughs) (laughs) That's... Oh, that's so perfect. Um, What movie? The movie we are reviewing is the 2003 quote-unquote family comedy... Mm-hmm. The cat in the hat. Oh, I just went blind in one eye. Yeah, sorry, that, that happens. Oh, oh, well, great, great, great. The cat in the hat. Yeah. We learned so much from this awful fucking movie, right? Uh, right, Steve? Uh, perhaps not anything that it I've intends got to teach to us. Salvage a goddamn experience from this. Okay. We, oh, we. I think we'll definitely learn some things. It's just nothing that the filmmakers wanted to teach us. <laughs> 
Steve, do you have any trivia for the cat in that Adam? <laughs> yes, I do. I do, as a matter of fact. Um, okay, I'm so, going to be doing heroin. Okay. Go right ahead. Hey, whatever you need to do to cope, buddy. There you go. Uh, I said I was done. I, I promised my family. <sighs> so, believe it or not, the cat in this movie has less than an hour of screen time. That's so. That's impossible. I had to read that three or four times before it sunk in. I was like, no, no, no. The movie's no, eight I hours long, and it's nothing but the cat. It was cat, like right? nine hours long. Yeah. Um, time passes differently depending on your personal experience, I guess. Um, also, this is interesting. Uh, the film, as we'll get into, I'm sure in detail, the film at the time was was widely criticized for the amount of adult humor that it features, despite supposedly being a kids' movie. Um, mm-hmm. As it turns out many of the adult jokes were originally intended for the live action Grinch movie that came out a few years before starring Jim Carrey what yeah but those adult jokes were cut out of the Grinch movie by director Ron Howard so not thrown away I know so but I mean the point is I never thought I'd say this but good job director Ron Howard um (laughs) Finally, one last bit, and this is my favorite bit of trivia uh, uh-huh. for the movie, and one of my favorite bits of trivia that I've, I've got to say for a while here. Uh, okay. dur- during the production of the movie, somebody stole $55,000 worth of props, including a giant pair of glasses, a giant anvil, a giant, okay. a giant key, and a giant golf ball. Okay. Okay. These stolen props were later found in a dumpster covered in graffiti. <laughs> so somebody stole them just so they could destroy them. They weren't sold or, or they weren't kept. That's exactly what it is. They stole them and was hoping after this comes out, it's going to be a huge hit. <laughs> and I'll be able to sell all these giant props to somebody. <laughs> the movie and the comes months out. went by. <laughs> The movie comes out, it's a bomb, so the guy just angrily spray paints graffiti all over them and throws them into a dumpster. After his wife finally divorced him because she told him this movie isn't worth getting arrested for, no one's going to buy that shit. He was spray painting on it when he heard the door close to his wife's car and drive away. I paint word pictures. Anyway. Yes. So there you go. That's my trivia. I have have a piece of trivia that makes me so happy. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. And sad. Oh. Oh. Audrey Geisel. Yes. Who is the widow of Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. Decided to not allow any further live action adaptations of any Seuss works to be produced after she saw this movie. Isn't that funny? I wonder why. Because it's a piece of shit that (laughs) strangles you while you watch it. It literally grows shit arms and strangles Because you. it's the cinematic equivalent of defecating on her dead husband's grave. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, sure. <laughs> so, Steve, are you ready to see who really needs to have hitmen sent after them? <laughs> I mean, who made it? Yes. Oh, yes. Let's talk about the uh, people who made it. Okie dokie. <laughs> it was directed by Bo Welsh. Oh, all the movies that Bo Welsh has made. Oh. Like... Nothing. Like this one. (laughs) Nothing. And also nothing. He's directed some TV shit. Mm -hmm. But he's mostly known as an art director and set decorator. Yeah. So 
the production company decided, we need a director. Who can we get? Who can we get for this? We had Ron Howard last time. We want to save money. Um, how about that guy over there putting up some wallpaper on the set of Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire 3? Oops, she's she's lost her panties. And they're like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Let's get him. I mean, don't you... And you know why I hate him even more? Why? Not just for this movie. Because he's married to Catherine O'Hara. Oh, so it's a little jealousy, too. It's more, it's like, yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's more than a little jealousy. It's a, <laughs> of, of, an angry, red, all-consuming jealousy. Yeah, every time I see him, he's like, he's so, why? <laughs> yeah. The, wh- how, how do people who have never directed anything get jobs to direct expensive and incredibly technically complicated movies like this? Like, I've... Who should it we get to direct it? How about this guy? And pro- studios and producers who don't think that a director is really important. Yeah. There are rumors on this script that the producer, Brian Grazer, was literally giving line readings to people and actors, basically stepping in and saying, say it this way, do it that way. They think of a director as someone who yells action and cut and has nothing to do with the actual overall quality of the film. They don't treat them as artists. They don't treat them as craftsmen. They think of them as a cog. We need to have some name. Well, we'll do Bo Welsh. He said he wants to direct something. And then they, uh, can you imagine the freak out he had? <laughs> Wait, you want me to direct this? I know you want to direct something. I thought you wanted me to start in television, do something, a commercial. I don't know, anything. And, you know, direct a trailer or something. <laughs> you want me to, how, how much money is in this? <laughs> <laughs> they needed a fall guy, oh. is what I'm saying. Well, a fall guy. <laughs> Produced by Brian Grazer, and he's he's uh, produced so many movies, Steve, like Sergeant Bilko, mm-hmm. and the Grinch movie mm-hmm. from before, and the Nutty Professor movies, and he has more bad movies to his credit than good movies, and a lot of the stuff he's been producing lately has been going directly to video, <laughs> so yay, f- yay for you, you shit. You- Ooh! <laughs> There are some movies in them, but none of his movies have like taken off and become the biggest things in the world. No, right? No. Did he produce the Back to the Future movies? I don't think so. I don't care. I don't think How so. How about that? How about that? And all those bad movies have erased the good ones that he's made. <laughs> Screenplay by Alec Berg, David Mandel, and Jeff Schaefer. So I'm a production company. This is me, dopey dope, and I am going to do an adaptation of one of the most beloved children's books ever right yes i decide you know who'd be great all the writers from seinfeld because when i watch seinfeld i think of rhyming children's story right steve that's that was the first name that i thought of because all three of these guys write for seinfeld yeah they've made other shit and i don't care all i all i'm saying is is that seinfeld is as far away from dr seuss as you can possibly get but when you watch this movie you can hear it you can hear the lines that they've written because they're seinfeld lines and only the people on seinfeld can make Seinfeld lines funny. <laughs> this movie opens with What's-Her-Face, the poor woman that's married to a Scientologist. I can't yeah. remember. Kelly, Kelly Preston. Clarkson. Preston, whatever. <laughs> and she says a Seinfeld line. She says, "What? You know, uh, you're leaving. That doesn't yeah. make you a babysitter. That makes you a baby leaver. Yeah. That's a Seinfeld line. Yeah. Funny if it came out of George. Not funny when it comes out of the mouth of Kelly Preston. No. 
I don't want to do anymore. We're done. Oh, we hate but it. We're getting, we're, Goodbye, but everybody. we're getting to the best part. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> the best part is based on, well, no, this is deeply sad. Based on The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. They should erase based on. They shouldn't. Based on a thing. Based on a thing that. Uh, Very generally inspired by. <laughs> do you know who originally wanted to do this? Uh, no, who? Alan, what's his face? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he would have been great. From, from Home Improvement, Alan. Oh, Tim Allen? Tim Allen, thank you. Oh, yes, Tim yes. Allen, this was originally a Tim Allen project. And he wanted it to be a little bit scarier because when he was a little kid, and I agree with this, there was a part of me that kind of fills you with dread as the cat in the hat destroys the, the house. Yeah. Right? And he wanted a little bit darker, but then he had to, he was in, under contract to make the Santa Claus 2, and they said, okay, we'll just give it to the first person in the starring by starring. Mm. Mm-hmm. Starring Mike Myers as the cat in the hat. And we all know Mike Myers as the mental breakdown that Jason had when we did the love guru <laughs> and the frequent tirades that I have about Mike Myers and the, the, the lengthy tirade I had against him during the Shrek review. Yeah. Fans of the show know that I don't like him very much, and boy, oh boy, did this not approve my opinion of Mike Myers in any way, shape, or form. I was thinking, I was, I was. I am, I am flabbergasted that this is wasn't his idea. Yeah, I know. I agree. They were like, "Hey, Mike, you want to do this?" And he's like, "Yeah, people don't like me anymore for some reason." (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it after the last. after the 900th Austin Powers movie, when people realized that they didn't like my shtick, I did a couple of cartoons, and sure, I'll put on the costume. So he got this movie, he got it, and he's like the leading contributing factor. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot here that I can blame on other people. For sure. But he didn't help. <laughs> So, also starring Spencer Breslin as Conrad Walden. Nothing. Nothing. And I mean nothing this time. I don't know what else he's done. I don't care. I hate him. He's a bad child actor. Why is he in movies? He's got to be related to someone, right? I know now he makes music or something. He's He's not working in the industry. He's he's the brother of Abigail Breslin. Of course he is. (laughs) Dakota Fanning is Sally Walden. And, um... She was in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood recently, yeah. and she was in War of the Worlds, the one that I don't like, <laughs> with uh, Tom Cruise, and she was in that Twilight crap. You know, those movies that one day we're going to have to review. Oh, boy. <laughs> At least one of them. <laughs> yeah. Kelly Preston as Joan Walden, although she's just credited as mom, and you know her from Sky High and Gaudy and being set decoration for when John Travolta wants to prove that he's not gay. Alec Baldwin, <laughs> I'm saying it. I don't care anymore. I'm just saying it. <laughs> the Scientology not Legal just Department massages is... John. <laughs> the Scientology Legal Department is, is knocking on your door right now, even though this hasn't even been released yet. <laughs> That's my opinion. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. There, I saved myself, Jiminy. Disclaimer. Shut your yapper while I trudge through this name of shame. Names of shame. You probably want to add a disclaimer to that one, Pinocchio. (laughs) Alec Baldwin, for some reason, is in this movie as Larry Quinn. You guys know who he is, do I? He's been. He's like you guys. Most of the younger folks just know him from SNL. Yeah. But it is in Hunt for Red October and... 
<laughs> and something is Beetlejuice. Yeah, this is him in the early stages of his his career resurgence as a as a comic actor. Not because of this. Not because of this, but the no. <laughs> same time frame, generally speaking. <laughs> Amy Hill is Mrs. Kwan, or is it a racial stereotype? Could be. I think maybe. <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know. She's you've seen her on TV. Sean Hayes as Hank Cumberflob. What? <sighs> and he's also the voice of the fish. So he has two roles. He has two parts. Yeah, he's a... He's a fish, and he's this other guy. And you guys know him from Will and Grace, and that's it. That's about it, yeah. Daniel Cochran. I don't know. Daniel Cochran and Taylor Rice as Thing One. Took two people. (laughs) Brittany Oaks and Talia Lynn Prairie as Thing Two. Nothing for any, all four of them, nothing. But they were voiced by Dan Castellaneta for some reason, even though it didn't need to be. Yeah, I know. Why Why hire an incredibly talented voice actor to do exactly. thing one and thing two? Stephen Anthony Lawrence as Dumb Schweitzer. And you guys might know him from the Even Stevens. I don't even know what the fuck that is. I guess it's a Disney show that was really, really popular. Paris Hilton as what? 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 As dated cultural what? reference. What? <laughs> oh. Bugsy is Nevins, the dog, voiced by Frank Welker, because whenever there's some animal, <laughs> rather than go to their huge bank of animal sounds, they get Frank Welker, and good for him. Let him, yeah, let him get paid, you know? Yeah, yeah. he doesn't care what he's in or how it contributes to people's mental health. <laughs> he's a mercenary. He just wants the money. <laughs> Candace Dean Brown as secretary. Did a lot of TV. Darren Norris as the astounding products announcer. A lot of voiceover work. Clint Howard as I'm in this for three and a half seconds because Imagine Entertainment produced this. And there's a clause that says if you're going to do anything by Imagine Entertainment, Clint Howard, who is the brother of, of Ron Howard, has to be in it for at least two and a half seconds. Ron wants you to use Clint, okay? He plays Clay- Kate the Caterer as a not funny joke. That's in there for some reason. Uh, yeah. Paige Hurd as Denise TV. Roger Morrissey as Vampatatatat. I don't even remember that. Me neither. Steve, do you remember that? No, Mr. Vampatatatat. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah. Nothing. Victor Brandt as the narrator, and um, you know him from TV. He's done also a lot of a lot of voiceover work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Music by David Newman. Hey, Steve, guess what? What? Guess who David Newman is the cousin of? Oh, would it be famed singer-songwriter Randy Newman? That's right. <gasps> Supposedly, Randy Newman wrote all the songs for this, and they were so god-awful, they threw him away. God-awful Randy Newman songs? I don't believe it. But that is just a rumor. Oh. Anyway, David Newman um, uh, is a composer, and he's done things like Bill and both the Bill and Ted movies. Can you believe there's another Bill and Ted movie coming? I out? know. Like, did you see the trailer for? Yes, it? I did. Did you get a little excited because the dude that's playing Death is playing Death again? I kind of did. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> did. 
I, it's we- Why are we getting excited about that? I don't know. You know what else is weird? It's weird watching old Keanu play like the young Keanu. The young you Keanu. Know? It's like, does this yeah. really work when he's old? I mean, I know Keanu, he's aged very, very well, but still like the voice yeah. is deeper and he's obviously older. It's like, I don't know if that quite, well, whatever. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Okay, oh, he also did scores for Hoffa, and and this is the reason why I like him, mm-hmm. Galaxy Quest. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's a, that's so a feather in the cap. The yeah, no. Cinematography by Emmanuel Lubezki. Uh, Steve, mm-hmm. I want you to see if you can pick out the one person on this production crew list that doesn't seem to fit. Okay. Okay? Emmanuel Lubezki, remember all the people that I just said, and then Emmanuel Lubezki, who has um, done cinematography for movies like other kids' movies, like uh, uh, Water for Chocolate, mm. Itu, Mama, Itu Mama Tambien. Oh, sure. Children of Men. Yeah, those great kids' movies. The Tree of Life. Oh, that's a great family film. Gravity. Oh, yeah, totally. Birdman. Oh, great family film. The Revenant. <laughs> <laughs> Based on the Caldecott award-winning children's book, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Johnny saw a bear, and the bear wanted a hug. <laughs> uh, How wow. in the world did this man... Because, I mean, like like Water for Chocolate and um, Itumama Tambien came out before this did. Yeah, oh yeah. And someone looked at his work and went, let's get him for the cat in the hat. <laughs> I wonder what he could do with Dr. Seuss. You know, this movie we're half-assing. Can we get this guy who's like a serious cinematographer and has made beautiful work before yeah. and gone on to make absolutely stunning work after? Made this pile of shit. I mean... What? Uh, okay. All right, fine. Whatever. I don't. He had, he had kids he needed to put through school. I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> Edited by Don Zimmerman. And again, here we go. You ready? Ready. These are the selections. Oh, boy. Being There, Rocky Three, and The Nutty Professor. Wow. Can you imagine having those in your resume when you approach <laughs> the cat in the hat? <laughs> I wonder what lessons he learned while cutting Rocky Three that he carried with him. That it's possible to edit a film drunk. That's the only thing I can think of. Oh, shit. Production company, Imagine Entertainment. You guys know that one. That's what was Ron Howard. Yeah. Distributed by Universal Pictures in North America only and DreamWorks Pictures internationally. You know, DreamWorks. Is it a movie company? <laughs> We're not sure, but they sure do try hard oh boy. for the last 25 years. Hey, Steve, can you name me a major DreamWorks movie? Oh, man. Um, I know there must be one. Oh, it w- wasn't Saving Private Ryan DreamWorks? Probably. I think it might have been. I remember the yeah. opening crawl where the kid throws a little fishing line into the water and you pan up to the D and the Nazis come up and just stab him to death <laughs> with their truncheons. <laughs> With their bayonets, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it's one of the most famous vanity plates of, of recent <laughs> cinema history. Release date, November 21st, 2003. It was a holiday movie. Oh, man. Hey, kids, are you done with your pumpkin pie? <laughs> Let's go see The Cat in the Hat. Destined to be a Thanksgiving classic. <laughs> Running time, 82 minutes. Thank Christ. 
Christ. <laughs> they tried. Oh, they tried to put as much padding oh, into this boy. movie as they possibly could. Yes, they did. But, but they couldn't even get it to a hundred, to a, wait, what is it, 90 minutes? 90 minutes, yeah. Well, technically minutes. it's a feature. We're just going to have to go with that. It's only 10 minutes longer than Dracula, yet it feels <laughs> like your entire, all the time that you spent in school. That's how long this thing can feel. <laughs> it feels like a 10-episode Netflix series. <laughs> Budget. $109 million. Box office. One hundred and thirty-four million dollars. So it made its it made its money back, but it didn't make enough money for them to jump up and down. No. And then they lost all their rights to the Doctor Seuss live-action movies, and they went, oh. So they sold those rights away to other companies. And also, um, Mike Myers really didn't work a whole lot. He had a little after this movie came out. He had a couple of little, you know, things. He was in a couple of little things. Yeah couple of movies and then someone forgot um that people were tired of him and gave him money to make the love guru five years yep. later and, and and that killed him for good that one yeah it did at least as far as being an auteur i mean he still kind of pops up in things every now and then in supporting roles but as far as like being you know a mike myers movie. friend friend favors yeah. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> all right yeah, because you know his little his money bin dips a little bit up in Canada, and he needs to come back down, shake his little money maker around for somebody. <sighs> All right, Steve. Yes. Bye. You do it. I'm leaving. Oh, okay. I am leaving. I am not going into this garishly painted hellscape <laughs> that is this movie. Okay. Okay. Can, can, do you think I'll, you can do it by yourself? I'll go by myself. I guess it's a little scary. I'll be, but... I'll be in this hermetically sealed vault until you're done. <laughs> And talk to you through the speaker. Okay, okay, we'll do it that way. No, I won't do uh, that to you. Uh, you know I would never sacrifice you for this. <laughs> Not for this. No. Something else. A different know. movie, maybe. Yeah, I just haven't found the right one no. yet. All right, let's you and me. Uh-huh. I can't. You, I can't we, we, do ha- it. we have to. I just can't. <laughs> let's you and me trudge into the world of the cat in the hat. Steve. Mm-hmm. If you're my friend, you'll tell me that I'm doing wrong with this show. (sighs) We've made a commitment and we have to see it through. That commitment is not legally binding. (laughs) We didn't write anything down or sign our names. All right, fine. For friendship, it'll it'll be better. We'll 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 get it done, and then we'll be able to say we've done it. It'll be over, and it's over, and we don't have to look at it. Exactly. Yes. Good. All right. Then let's you and me hold each other naked. Sure. And shivering and cold. (laughs) Ah, the experience of watching the film. As we scream, don't look at us, don't look at us, to all the passersby in the world of the cat in the hat, Steve, take it away. <laughs> we, we desperately clutch at each other. <laughs> uh, okay, so actually, the credits are not that bad. No, uh, actually, the opening the, uh, gives you hope. Yeah, yeah. Which is, makes it the worst part of this <laughs> fucking movie. It makes it a cruel movie in addition to a bad movie. Yes, um, it does. We, we get the credits, which are done in kind of like a Dr. Seuss-style animation with, you know, Dr. Seussian font and... Uh, yeah, Dr. Seussian DreamWorks logo. Yeah, everything's Seussed up, you know. Uh, even like a Dr. Seuss Universal 
logo. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we, we fade down into a, an, an aerial shot of the town, which is called Anvil. Mm-hmm. And we hear the narrator. Get it? It's like Anvil. Like, Get it, audience? Like an, it's called Anvil. Like an anvil. Um, right. Hey, there's something I want to ask you. Yeah. Dr. Seuss books are usually pretty monochromatic. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Usually red or blue and black and white, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, black ink drawings with spots of color. That's it. Why is it, and this is a stupid question, but why is it that every time they do one of these things, they're in vibrant, garish colors that never existed in the Dr. Seuss palette? (laughs) That's a great question. A better question would be also, like, they've done so many Dr. Seuss movies now, both live action and animated. Why hasn't anybody ever at least tried to do something that was close yeah. to like the monochromatic you know storybook palette i mean just to see if I it would know. work just i mean it might not work it might be too drab because but just we're dumb americans and we like our colors we do and we got plenty of them here um uh-huh. we, we maybe they could do something different aesthetically be, yeah and maybe. people might be interested in maybe. it i always fall on the side of if you have a good story it doesn't matter how it's shot that's true that's true. All, all other things are, are secondary. But, uh, yeah, so so we float down into the town, and the narrator is sort of setting the scene. Is it a big town? It's a small town. Isn't it? It's a small city. It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, we, we meet, we, we float down to uh, Humberflube Real Estate. What a quirky name. Humberflube. Yeah. yeah. And we go inside. That's something a three-year-old can say. Sure, Humberflube. Sweetie, say Humberflube. Fuck you. My, my boob. You just want me, you just want to film this and put it on YouTube <laughs> while I fuck up a made-up word. Go fuck yourself. What kind of... Put that camera away. What kind of a parent tries to intentionally humiliate their child? Yeah. I'm just sitting here eating Cheerios one at a time and dropping a few off for the dog. And now you want to make me look like an idiot for social media. That would be funny. A, like an adorable baby just turns, looks directly into the lens, completely straight face, and goes, what the fuck are you trying to do? <laughs> I'm having a private moment. I'm your flesh Not and blood. You're trying to exploit me? You're trying to get me to do something cute so you can share it? What is- At what point, when I slipped out of your vagina, did I sign a contract saying, put me up all over <laughs> right. YouTube and Twitter and Facebook? <laughs> you show me the release with my signature on it. You show it to me. I can't even write. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we, we go into uh, the Humberflue Real Estate Office, and this is where we meet uh, Joan, played by Kelly Preston. Yeah, uh, what's being delivered? Uh, oh, a gigantic box of hand sanitizer. Did you catch the name um, of the name of the company? Oh, I did, but I can't remember. Oh, it's such a funny reference to what was going to be a really popular movie that year. Oh boy, what was it? The Incredible Bulk. The Incredible company. Bulk. That's funny. In a green box. Oh, it's funny. Boy, they they sure <laughs> they miscalculated that one, didn't they? But they go um, into the Humberflue yeah. Real Estate Agency, and how many people work there? A few. Like fifty. Yeah, something like that. In this town? Yeah. So pretty much everybody. <laughs> I, I guess. turnover is really high in the town. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as you might have guessed from the giant hand sanitizer delivery, the boss, Mr. Hank Humberflube, uh, is a little bit of a germaphobe. 
Like uh-huh. they're having a, they're, they're having like a, um, they're, they're recognizing their new employee. There's a guy who's like their newest employee. And Mr. Right. Humberfoob is like, hey, it's what's his name, blah, blah, blah. You know, the newest member of the team. And the guy stands up and shakes Mr. Humberfoob's hand. And, oh, that's a no-no. Right. That's Why? a no-no. Because he's a germaphobe. He doesn't shake people's hands. And so he... Now, he, he to this movie's credit, they don't outright say he's a germaphobe. germaphobe. But to this movie's detriment, they overdo it. Oh, yeah, a little bit. A little <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, bless Sean Hayes. He seems to think that the best way to make his character funny is to come up with, like, the most obvious, overdone, obnoxious way of, of, of delivering. Hugely broad. Hugely broad way of delivery. So he doesn't just say that the guy's fired. He screams it, and he pronounces it, fired. And he says the word I mean, that way every time he says it because it's funny. That's right, because it's funny for little childrens and people outside of the theater to hear. Um, sure. And then we meet um, Kelly Preston, who's yeah. playing mom. Yeah, and she's on the phone and, with her babysitter. Yeah, and the babysitter's leaving because of things. <laughs> yes. And she's got to go home, and Mr. Humberfloob is like, you better, you, I, bad things, and I, I hate germs, and you better be here. And, and we're having and a party stuff. at your house later, and your house had better be clean. That's right. Yeah. Because I'm a germaphobe, yeah. and it has to be a clean house, or I'll fire you. <laughs> exactly. And she's like, okay. And uh, this is exactly like the book, which started with two bored kids staring out a window because it's raining. Yeah, exactly like the book. We needed this commentary about a single mom? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever. Puts it into an, an, a greater more a greater social and, and cultural context, you see. Right. Yeah. And she gets home, and her son, who is a lunatic <laughs> that really needs Ritalin, has, is uh, sliding yeah, down yeah. the stairs, and he comes out, and he hits a car, and he kills a couple of children. Yeah, he's not... And yeah. he blames... Blames his sister, who's a Nazi. I don't know what she. She's like a. She's as she's German without being German. She's supposed to. She yeah, she's lists. yeah. She's supposed to be like a neat freak and like very like a very like strict rule follower. And yeah, she makes she's, she's very anal retentive. Yeah, exactly. She keeps she notes every time she takes a shit. Making a to do list. The size yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, what color it was. <laughs> exactly. Stuff like that. And, yeah. You know, she keeps her piss in a jar, and she only stares at people from windows and she has no friends does huh she has no friends she has no one to make muffins with because her mom wants her to make muffins for this company thing yeah and she's like why can't you have make muffins with this one girl and she's like because i i i need to do everything mother i need to be in the control of all the ingredients so i beat her i beat her Yep. Well, why can't you do it with this other girl? Same thing. It keeps happening. I don't know why. I don't have any friends. I beat as many children my age as possible. Uh, there, there, there you go, writing a more enjoyable movie. No. Um, and so yeah. Alec Baldwin shows yeah, up. Yeah, and he's the next door neighbor who is dating the mom. Nah. And uh, wants... He wants to fuck he, well, he, her and he wants to get rid of the he kids. He wants to get rid of the... So here's some tropes that I hate about step parents. They're always evil. Oh yes. Depending on what movie you're in. If you're in if you're unfortunately, if you're in a Roland Emmerich film, you're dead. <laughs> you die. Yeah, step parents. You yeah, die. Yeah. Because marriages don't actually end in Roland Emmerich films. The mom might marry someone else, 
But eventually she winds up with the ex by Yeah, the you know there's a biological dad who's going to make right. it to the end of the movie, and you're not going to be only, there. I may, I may have missed a few, but there is only one movie that I have seen recently that has a positive um, step-parent, and that's Ant-Man. Mm, yeah. He starts off as kind of a villain and a foe. He's a cop or whatever, but by the end he's supportive and 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 the mom doesn't prick up with him. You know, they right. she doesn't go back to the other guy, right? He's just he's just a nice guy who's looking out for his daughter, you know, yeah. um, his stepdaughter, and wants to make sure that he has a good re- that the daughter has a good relationship with with her dad, her biological father. Yeah. And the rest of these fucking piece of shit movies, anybody who sniffs around the mom is instantly a villain. Oh yeah, and that's definitely the case with uh, Lawrence. Yeah. yeah, he wants to he, he's because trying to to talk Joan into sending Conrad to military school. Right, he wants to send Conrad to military school and he doesn't have any opinion about the daughter as near as I can no, tell. No, she doesn't matter. No, she's too busy organizing the dust on the coffee. <laughs> he's he's thinking I can put her to work. I can't use this kid, this this boy for anything, but Muscle, I can put her to work. Why can't we have uniform dust on the coffee table? <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> anyway, um, she tells the kids, "I need this house clean, and here's your babysitter." Um, and she's a big she's a big woman with glasses. Yeah, and she's she's always falling asleep. Yeah, His narcolepsy and is then, funny. <laughs> Mom has to go back to work, and then what's his face? Alec Baldwin leaves, right? And um, the son watches Alec Baldwin drive over to the side of the house and take off his tie and everything else, because he said he was gonna go back because he's a big time salesman or something. Right? He, yeah, he, but really, he had to go to the real estate office downtown to give him a pep talk, and that isn't what happened. No. Get that joke? Do you get that joke, Steve? I bet the three year olds got that joke, right? Steve? <laughs> Everybody loves Glenn I Gary, bet Glenn Ross. I bet any three-year-old will get a Glengarry Glen Ross joke. I'm sure most in three-year-olds, in their little brains, are like, ah, a reference to the Pulitzer Prize-winning David Bamett play. Which his character wasn't in. Which his in. character wasn't in, in the play, right. It was, in, only it was in the especially movie. written for the movie. Right. Anyway, instead of me going, ah-ha-ha, I went, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> when he said that. Yeah. Anyway, and how come it wasn't? I wish they would have kept it. I wish he had gone to her real estate company and done like the thing, done the speech. Yeah, did the exact same thing. Yeah, they could have sussed it up. Put, instead of steak knives, it could have been swans gooslers. Put that chocolate milk down. <laughs> anyway, now the kids are by themselves. the The, the lady, the babysitter, yeah. uh, wants to watch TV. And you would say that this town and everything else has been relatively whimsical, right? For the most part, yeah. But then she sits down to watch television, and what is she watching, Steve? Oh, I forget what she's watching, but it's... it's That in this goofy, whimsical world, Taiwan still oh, exists. That's, and and it's, it's footage from the, the, the legislature where they're fighting. Yeah, because yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and I love that they, they foley uh, karate chops and punches, even when you're watching footage where nobody's hitting each other. Is that racist? I feel like it is a little bit. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is a little bit, yeah. But then she falls into the Yep. And then, instead of a knock at the door, yeah. <laughs> it does start to rain yeah. for about three seconds. <laughs> they look out the window. In the book, it's raining all the time. Right. right? But then they hear uh, something upstairs. They look in a closet, and there's nothing there. And, oh, there's Mike Myers covered in fur. Yeah, he's just there, yeah. lurking, as he yeah. always is in the back of our subconscious. Mm-hmm. Saying things and laughing yeah, at them. With an inexplicable accent. Anything, and yeah. we've, we've established 
is that there's he loves nothing better than to laugh at his own goddamn jokes. Why is that such an enduring Mike Myers bit? Because it seems like... It's a sign of insecurity. It's like he does it as Austin Powers. He does it as the love guru. He does it here. If he didn't laugh, Steve, there would be no laughter in the theater. <laughs> he's like He's like his own personal laugh track. Uh-huh. Time to laugh. So the kids run around and hide, and he keeps showing up. Right. And saying something and laughing about it. And he keeps showing up and saying something and laughing about it. And then the, finally the kids say, who are you? And he says, I'm the cat in the hat. Um, surprise. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> great. Okay, that explains everything. Cool. Six foot tall, scary, <laughs> scary man. So you're a cat. Okay. Got it. Right. This is going to be a short review, guys. Not a whole lot happens. Uh, be- because, yeah, not not a lot happens. They go downstairs. And he sees a picture of their mom. Oh, yeah, he does. Here's a fun joke for a family film. He uh, he openly ogles the their mom. Picture frame. Yeah. He, he ogles it, makes breathy sounds. Yeah. Because this cat wants to fuck the mom, I guess. He's horny. He um, unfolds it like a Playboy centerfold. Yep. And then his hat gets erect. Yep, yep. And his tail. Oh, yeah, and his yep. tail, too. Yeah. So, yep. And uh, if you had any sense, you would at this time be talking to the cashier of the theater <laughs> saying, where's my money? Where's my fucking money? I want a refund right now. Do you know how many times my kids just now asked me, what did that mean, mom? <laughs> my child is four years old. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> Anyway, so there's a bunch of fuck 'em ups. He gets rid of the he gets rid of the babysitter who's asleep. Yeah, he hangs her in the closet, and um, what happens? Uh, oh, he gives he pulls out like this gadget and gives him like a test, like a personality test. All right, that, and like it turn like Conrad is a troublemaker, and, and he wets the and bed. Is, and a bedwetter. Yeah, and so let's yeah let's make, let's make fun of kids for wetting the bed. I wanted to see him fix that problem. <laughs> I wanted to see him fix the bedwetting problem. <laughs> I wasn't one until a giant cat showed up in my house. Uh, and then he put it on the little yeah, girl. She's a control freak. Went to, not, went to Nazi <laughs> and then caught fire. And then the machine tried to drag itself out of the house. Yeah, so... She opened her mouth and demons and ghost echoes came out. <laughs> so the cat diagnoses the, that the kids are a little off balance. They need to be more they well-rounded. They, need, they need to have more fun. Yes, exactly. And uh, he gets them to sign a contract yeah. with lawyers present. Yeah, sure. The, Am I remembering yes, that correctly? Yes, you, you are indeed. And uh, they agree and they sign it. And um, then they d- decide to make muffins. No, to jump. They, they oh, do the that's couch right. They're going to jump up and down on the couch yeah. in the forbidden living room Ooh. that they cannot mess up because of mom's very important real estate party. Right. And uh, before they can jump up and down on it, we need to have a 10-minute scene of the cat in a hat pretending to be some gomer <laughs> at a gas station. Yes, absolutely. Fixing the couch absolutely. where we get, we get to see his ass and <laughs> he farts. So we got our fart joke yep. in. Yay. And he takes some wacky stuff out, and he gets attacked by an elephant's trunk, and 
um, finally fixes it, and they jump on the cat on the couch. Yeah, it's Fun. it's great. And then Alec Baldwin shows up. Oh yeah, and the cat in the hat has to hide. Or he something. hides, but he gets cat dander in the air, which makes Alec Baldwin sneeze because he's allergic, and then he leaves. So I guess right. they just needed to justify Alec Baldwin's pay, so they gave him <laughs> they gave him a little bit more screen time. And then they're gonna make muffins yeah no 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 yes and the fish oh that's right the fish talks now and the fish is trying to be like the voice of reason like these kids aren't supposed to act this way do what your mom told you yeah you need to do now and just like in the book they ignore yeah and then they need to make yeah and so they they do it by making what was a dated pop culture reference at the time (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and is a even more dated reference watching it now where uh-huh. they, the cat uh, does like a, a really bad Saturday Night Live sketch making fun of the That's Incredible infomercials. That's right. Yeah. Does anybody remember those? No. no. Okay. Anyway, I'm pretty sure the three um, and four and five-year-olds in the audience would have not would have had no idea yeah. what that was even about. <laughs> this movie is aged like this is, I was going to say, fine wine. Not cheese. I already used that joke. This movie is aged like decapitated toes in the Sahara <laughs> Desert. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they do that, and they sit in an audience watching it, and I couldn't help but notice that there was a great big lit-up sign behind all of them. And I can't help but think that this was the producers desperately trying to get the audience to laugh <laughs> because it said laugh on it. Yeah. Come on. Come on. And it wasn't funny, and eventually the cat chops off his own tail, and and um, he threatens to maybe sue the children because yeah. he cut his own tail off. Yeah, yeah. But then they make the they try to make the fucking muffins, and the muffins explode and get purple stuff everywhere. Uh oh. Oh no! How are they gonna fix that? The house is a mess. Oh man! Well, good thing the cat knows just who to call. The Ghostbusters. Yeah. No, he he brings out this giant cartoon uh, red crate. And opens it up, and two little mm-hmm. nightmare people come out. <laughs> two, two, two little demons from the pits of hell. <laughs> Who are they, Steve? They, they are uh, Thing 1 and Thing 2. And the buildup is, is that they're the most funnest things in the entire world, right, Steve? That's what we're told. And as soon as they're out, they promptly get into an argument about their names. Yes. Super fun. It's great. But then they tell them they got to clean up the... Because here's the thing. The cat in the hat takes mom's dress, the dress that she was going to wear at the party, and tries to clean up the uh, purple muffin mix. Or, yeah. you know, yeah, it could be it could be that Vulcan soup. Anyway, that, <laughs> that muffin that splattered all over yeah. the place. And they're like, what are you doing? And so thing one and thing two take the dress, they shake it out, and then all of that stuff gets on the couch. Oh, no. Oh, no. So then they shake it off the couch, but it gets no, onto the curtains. No, they don't shake it off the couch. Thing one picks up thing two and beats it beats off the it couch. Off the couch. Thing yeah. too. Yes, and then it gets on the curtains, and you know you mm. see where this is. Every time they get it off of one thing, it splatters onto something else, and pretty soon the whole house is still a mess. But uh oh, Steve, Steve, uh, thing one and thing two came out of a plot contrivance box. Yes, they did. And uh, Conrad decides oh, he wants to look in the box, and the Cat in the Hat is like, no, you can't look in that box because it's a 
portal to another dimension. I remember sure. that rhyme from the book. Yeah, he says it's a, it's a portal into my world because the world that the movie regularly takes place in isn't fucking weird enough. <laughs> There's an even weirder world where the cat yeah. is actually from. So he pulls out a sentient metal crab lock yes. and he puts it on the <laughs> box that says made in the Philippines on it for yeah. some reason. But not these Philippines. A different, I guess the cat's dimension has its own Philippines. Or maybe he's implying that the Philippines are in a different dimension. Ever think about that? Maybe. I'm a quarter Filipino. What are you saying, Steve? I, I, I don't know. That you can hold your this breath underwater longer than I can. The the barely ethnic ethnic guy who gets hurt terribly insulted over the perception of a slight. <laughs> or an American. Anyway, so <laughs> oh. So anyway, this is why we do the bad movies, guys. When I'm angry, I'm funnier. So anyway. (laughs) He's all wound up. He puts a lock on it. There's a bunch of fuck-em-ups around the house. I don't remember any of it. A bunch of bad jokes and awfulness. Oh, yeah, yeah. The kids try to run around and chase the thing one and thing two with with loony bin nets that they happen to have inside the closet. yeah. And uh, at some point, does Conrad take the lock off? Conrad takes the lock off, and it f- somehow finds its way onto the collar of the dog. And right. then the dog runs away. The dog runs out the door, like, into the neighborhood. They, he doesn't run anywhere. <laughs> Thing one picks up the dog. Oh, that's, yes, that's right. And throws it like a football out the window. <laughs> Animal cruelty. So the cat in the hat says, oh, no, if we don't put the lock on this, we're, it's every, all the stuff... We'll get out. Let's put the the fat babysitter on top of it, and let's go after that dog, right, Steve? Yeah. Okay, so they go after the dog, and they invade. They're going past a house, and the little Nazi girl goes, Why wasn't I invited to this birthday party that I'm seeing through the window? Why don't they want... Why Why are they... Instead of pin the tail on the donkey, it's a, a pin a knife in a picture of my face. <laughs> She realizes that kids don't like her. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wonder why that might be. Because she's. (laughs) She's. Okay. She's an unpleasant child. She's an unpleasant anal retentive child. And she's briefly sad. But then they're sneaking around and the dog's trying to steal sausages from the outside picnic that they just left out. Yeah. With no children and nobody attending. None of the kids are outside. They're all inside. They come running outside, and somehow, somehow, while everybody's trying to hide, the cat in the hat has dis- has taken the place of the pinata, which yes. was also a cat. And this is the only scene that I like in the movie. Really? As children pick up bats and beat Mike Myers while he's hanging from a rope. It does have a certain appeal, doesn't it? I don't even mind the huge kid with a wooden bat that, that uh, hits him in the nuts until they don't even know how to do that joke correctly. No. And also... Why is this in a children's film? <laughs> <laughs> and also, also, why did the cat take the place of the pinata at all? There's no logical reason for him to do that. They just wanted to hit the cat yeah. in the hat, the beloved children's character, <laughs> in the nuts with a wooden bat. I mean, you know, it was in, in this describe, case, he deserves it. <laughs> can you describe? I want you to describe yes. and then justify Okay. what happens when he gets hit in the nuts. Oh, he he has like a vision of himself, Uh of himself dressed in like a dress swinging on a swing. 
No, not just a dress. He's he's dressed like the daughter of a plantation owner. Yes. On a swing. Yes. While what song plays? Oh, what song is it? I can't remember. Because I'm easy. Yes, by easy Lionel like Richie. Sunday morning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that? That's just. I, it, what is that? It's completely it? random. It's you know what it is. It's a bit written by somebody who either never knew or completely forgot how to write comedy. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what it is. So the dog, the dog, the the, the dog. We got to catch that dog. The dog still has the crab lock. But oh no, who picks up the dog? It's evil Alec Baldwin. Yeah, what is he gonna? He's calling. Okay, everybody has cell phones in this whimsical Susie and Wonderland. <laughs> yes, Everyone of has a cell phone on a holster. Of course. And he calls their mom and says, "Oh, those kids, the dogs running loose. Everything's a mess. You right. you got to get rid of them or something." Yeah, he's using this like to convince her to send the the kid the the son to military school. Yeah. Right. And he client he gets in his car. No, his car... When does his car get repossessed? Oh, so there was a brief scene of him at home where he takes his girdle off. Right. And he's got a big gut, and he picks his navel. Yeah. And um, that was great. And some dudes show up from another world. And yeah, to repossess his TV. To repossess his TV. And he's like, no, because it turns out he's a bum, and he just wants to live off the mom's money. Right. Because she's rich. <laughs> yeah, all that real estate money that she's making. Yeah. From all nine of the houses in this town. Right. That have 50 real estate agents. Exactly. Anyway, so uh, he picks up the dog and he drives into town, right? Yes. And uh, they follow him into, into town and they have a hatch a plan to get the dog back from him. And that is the cat in the hat pretending to be a hippie wanting a petition to be signed. You know, something that all kids can relate to. Yeah, real, a really timely topical joke. Right. Yeah. And he has a huge pen that he has to use two hands to sign, and Alec Baldwin's going to sign it just to get rid of the guy. And then he grabs the dog and he runs away, right? Yes. And then in the midst of running away, because they have to get the lock off the dog. Right. They go into a kiosk. Yeah, that leads down into an underground club. A dance party. Yeah, where Paris Hilton is for some reason. Right. She, he dances with Paris Hilton for a second. A second, literally. She. There, I think there's one shot of her in the entire yeah, film. Because yeah, because scantily clad dance party is exactly what I thought the Cat in the Hat book needed Absolutely. in the middle of it. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's only implied in the book. That but in, and in an a elongated movie. cum shot. That's what we needed in the movie too, right, Steve? <laughs> Again, it's implied in the book. and In a film, you have the time to bring it out, you know. To develop yeah. those ideals. Exactly. Those ideas that Theodore Geisel just played with a little bit. Exactly. Right. Exactly. When he wasn't drawing racial caricatures in the 1930s in his books, <laughs> he was like, you know, it'd be great. Just this big dick with a huge roping arc of chism <laughs> shooting out of it. <laughs> oh, I think the kids would love it. <laughs> anyway, so that scene that lent nothing to the movie yep. had nothing to do with the plot. Nope. It only had to do with having Paris Hilton make an un, undialogued cameo. That's it. But they tried to justify it later because when they come out, they, the, the dog gets loose again. What happens? Yeah, and, and the cat says he lost his hat. Like, 
his hat Which came hat? off in the club and he grabbed the wrong hat on the way out. And now so. it's just a hat. Because for some reason, all the people in the club were wearing hats like him. Sure. Okay. And that's that's well-crafted screenwriting. Right. But they lose the dog or they get the dog and they get the lock. I don't remember. Yeah. Because I wasn't actively watching the movie at this point. I was stopping my hand from cramming the needle in my eye. <laughs> and so... They go back to the house. Right, and the house is a huge mess now because the the crate has overflowed. Right. At some point, someone, you know, the mom calls the house to talk to the babysitter, and the babysitter is awake for some reason, and thing one and thing two are pretending to be the kids, and then they've uh, tied string to the babysitter and are marionetting her around the house in some sort of hell level that I don't even think... You know, Dante's Inferno would have thought of in a million years. It would have been too depraved. The book would have been burned, (laughs) is what would have happened. Dante would never, the the Pope would have personally killed Dante if that had been in the Inferno. But um, because they're they're doing that with the sitter, the box is now open and blowing big purple bubbles everywhere. And that's bad. That's bad. Mm hmm. And so the kids make it to the house, and they open the door, and everything looks fine. Everything looks normal, yeah. And then Alec Baldwin shows up, and he's like, I'm a bad guy, I'm a bad guy. And then he falls, and it turns out the inside of the house was just a picture. And he falls down this high cliff into some purple goop, and he's dead at the end. Yep, apparently. (laughs) Nope. Now they've got to get to... The living room where the box is to put the lock on the box. Right, and when they close the box, that'll magically make everything back to normal. Right. They think, but so. now it's it's uh, now it's uh, like a, a pocket dimension yeah. that um, has you know elements of the house and his world, and they decide they in order to get there, they have to ride on the babysitter that's asleep and who's on a, like a like a water slide kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they get on her and they they ride through the house like it's a ride at Disneyland. Yeah. And yeah. then they they start going down this long thing and one of the kids says out loud, "It's like a theme park." He says that line out loud, which yes. is bad enough, but not to be undone. They try to make it worse. Oh, yes. Because they stop all action in this universal movie. And what does the cat in the hat do? He turns and looks directly to camera. And he says, an amusement park like Universal Studios? And he holds up a Universal Studios pamphlet. Yep. And he winks with a cash machine wink. Yep. Like... Uh, aren't we naughty? Yeah, that we literally plugged our own theme park in this movie as 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 a joke because that's what Mike Myers does. He 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 makes jokes by throwing in by making people see that he's doing product placement, but most people don't realize he's doing product placement. <laughs> he's, he's getting paid. Right. He's not that making funny fun of joke. It. <laughs> that, that funny joke. In Wayne's world, was literally him doing product placement and getting paid right. to do it. Yep, clever. Fuck this movie. They get to the box, they put the lock on it, they close it. Yep, and it all goes back to normal for a second, but then the house completely falls apart. Right. And then the cat in the hat says, I'm leaving, right? Yeah. And then the kids have some sort of 
realization about themselves. I guess. Yeah, well, because they agree to... Neither one of them is going to blame it on the other. And, like, the brother tells the sister to just go hide and he'll take the blame. And then the sister says, no, I don't want you to take the blame. I deserve the blame, too. They have, like, a a moment of growth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh We did this. Right. Not confronting the actual issues about both kids, where one is acting out to get attention, and the other one is turning into some bizarre Nazi. That's not what they come to the realization about. Not about the fact that the little girl has no friends. No. Right? And is living a very lonely life, and doesn't seem to notice, really, until she sees that birthday party. Right. Right. It's about how they treat each other. Yeah. And and also overlooking the fact that they both seemed kind of okay until the cat showed up and and incited them to destroy everything. (laughs) But once they have this thing, the cat shows up in a machine and tells them, you guys learned your lesson. Now I'm going to fix the whole house. And thing one and thing two have a machine. And then they do something that is... So stereotypical about early, early oddies, naughties movies, and so reprehensible. Go on. They clean the house and fix it, all to a great pop song that they even reference out loud. Yeah. And the pop song is Smash Mouth. Oh, yeah. Singing a Beatles song. So there's your... <laughs> there, there's your microcosm of what's wrong with the movie right there. They're singing Getting Better All the Time by the Beatles, and it's yep. Smash Mouth doing it. Yep. You guys remember Smash Mouth? If you don't, you're so lucky. <laughs> they did that. Good w- for you. <laughs> they did that one song, and then that other song that sounded kind of like the first song. <laughs> hey, remember when Smash Mouth covered I'm a Believer in Shrek? Yeah. Weird hey. that, huh? <laughs> hey, Mike Myers was in that, too. I know. Weird. Steve, uh-huh. I'm not wanting to live. We're almost done. I don't. We're almost We're, done. Are we? We're almost to the end. Are we done? We're almost to the okay. end. Okay. They clean up the house. Mom comes home. Oh, everything's clean. Alec Baldwin shows up covered in purple goop. He yep. gets spit out of a spigot on the side house. He comes in and he's like, I'm a bad guy. And mom goes, you are a bad guy and kicks him out. Yep. Thank God they, they the resolved party. that plot thread. They have the party. Mr. Humpfucker or whatever his name is is like everything's so clean and wonderful. Everyone loves the cupcakes. Um, the fish is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fish is the fish, I guess. Um, and then the I guess the party's over, and they cut to the mom and the kids jumping up and down on the sofa. Yep. None of their actual problems have been addressed. No. <laughs> We don't get a scene of her trying to make friends by not bossing them around or beating them. We don't get nope. a scene of the, the son, you know, uh, not destroying the house or acting out. Nope. It's just them jumping up on the couch. The mom doesn't find a better job where she doesn't have a psycho boss nope. that makes her do whatever she wants. You know, makes, makes, you know, clean everything, don't touch me, and all this other stuff. That's it. That's it. That's the end. Yep. They, add, that, they, they jump on the couch, and then we see oh, that turns, the cat turns is like the, walking away with the things. And oh yeah, down oh, the yeah. And then they do a joke that Mike Myers repeats verbatim at the end of the Love Guru. That's right, where he's the narrator. Yeah, it turns out he's been the narrator all along. Such a great joke that he decided to use the exact same joke at the yeah. end of his next movie, in which he stole because he didn't write this joke. Someone else wrote right. this joke. <laughs> right. He's like, I'm going to do that. They walk down the fucking street at the end. Yep, that's it. So, Steve. Uh-huh. You hated it, right? It's bad. 
I didn't care for it. Yeah, I hated it too. It's I didn't bad. care for it. We're done. <laughs> do we have to say why? I guess we do. I guess we do. Steve, yeah. tell us why you hate it. <laughs> so, okay, um, we, uh, you know, we, you said earlier before we started, you were, we were joking around. And you said we, I have there, I have to extract some purpose from this experience, right? <laughs> so let's talk about the perils of adaptation. Oh, um, okay. The Cat in the Hat, the book, is about 60 pages long and about 1,600 words total. Yeah, not, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Um, the Cat in the Hat, the movie, is 82 minutes long, which, all other things being equal, is a perfectly reasonable running time. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I, I wish more of the films we've reviewed on this show were closer to that running uh, time than they actually have been. The problem but it is, didn't feel like it. No, it didn't. See, the problem is when you're adapting a 60-page children's book into an 80-minute live-action film, how do you fill that time? How do you expand on the book in order to make a feature-length film that is entertaining and of some value to its target audience. And, and stay close to its and stay, Yeah. And we'll see, the reason I phrase it the way I did by saying entertaining mm-hmm. and of some value is I, th- I think once you've made the decision to make a feature-length film out of a 60-page Dr. Seuss book, you've essentially abandoned the goal of making a film that's faithful to the source material. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that makes the work of Dr. Seuss so charming and so good for young children is that it's simple and it's brief. The brevity mm-hmm. is a big part of it. So if one of your goals is to produce a faithful Dr. Seuss adaptation, you probably shouldn't even attempt to make a feature-length film because no. it just it isn't well-suited to that format. But that doesn't mean that you can't ever make a worthwhile movie based on Dr. Seuss. It doesn't mean it's like... Yes, it's it Im- does. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I'm not, I don't you're, make- <laughs> you're giving people in Hollywood hope. Yeah, everybody stop. Everybody Everybody who's developing a feature-length Dr. Seuss movie, They're going to do a live-action, everybody poop. If you keep this up, Steve, I, I I completely completely reject that and and disown they're gonna do all the of that. The hungry hungry caterpillar. No, and the caterpillar no. eats a corpse. Oh my and god! It's a murder mystery. Well, or that's something. what they do, man. That's what they do in nature. Um, no, but see, here's the thing. <laughs> And I don't mean, I I certainly don't mean this to encourage anybody who may be developing a feature like Dr. Seuss movie at this point. Um, There may be a way to to capture something like the charm of the book, even without the brevity. Now, I don't know what that way might be. And unfortunately, neither do the people who made this movie. But the frustrating thing about this movie for me is, and we kind of hinted at it a little bit. And when we were going through the plot, there, there was a point while I was watching it, when I thought they might have figured it out, because there yeah. there are scenes in the movie that, while they're not quite Seussian, um, they are warped and quirky and charming in a way that is sort of faintly reminiscent of Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they, they mostly work, you know, on their own merits. It's never great. The movie is never great. It's no. never even, I would, it's not even really particularly good. But, but, but there are moments, even entire scenes, where it kind of works. And, mm-hmm. and then the cat shows up and all that goes out the window. Yeah. Like, I, I can't think of another example of a movie that goes downhill so fast after the introduction of its title character. Um, before the cat makes his first appearance, there are a few missteps, like the Sean Hayes boss character. That's the big one for mm-hmm. me, because that's just not funny at all. 
Um, mm. But other than that, like the movie is kind of okay. Like it establishes this tongue-in-cheek, mildly subversive tone. Um, I actually kind of like the production design. I don't. I'm not like crazy about it, but I think some of it is interesting. And the characters, the characters, uh. the characters are very broad and very predictable. But they're at least played by likable actors, right? Um, who, right. who seem like they're trying to do something with this material. Once the cat shows up, it becomes this obnoxious, weirdly smutty, mean-spirited thing. <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, I, I have no categorical objections to smut or mean-spiritedness. Like, I think both can be fine if done properly. Uh, the reason they don't work for me here is that they come from the cat himself, and they're mostly directed at the children yes. who still end up loving him. Like, he, mm -hmm. he's nothing but rude and pervy and mean to these kids for the entire movie. And they still mm -hmm. wind up loving him like he's some cuddly friend. And, right. and that makes no sense. Like, and and that, a big problem with a lot of the movie is that stuff happens that just makes no sense. And even, even madcap comedy has to have some kind of internal logic. And, and, and this movie just has none. The cat is caustic and irritating and, and a, a tiresome jerk. And Mike Myers gives him all of his most annoying traits as a performer. Mm -hmm. We mentioned a couple of them already. He laughs at his own jokes. He steps on other people's punchlines. Yep. Um, he does this, the tr like the shoehorned in sketch comedy shtick, like the, the infomercial bit. The camera. He mugs. I mean, yeah. Uh, so he's not likable or charming or endearing no. or sympathetic. And, and And yet the kids come to love him. But most importantly... Because this is ostensibly a comedy, he's also not funny. And mm -hmm. you mentioned that bit with the couch, right? That is such a labored bit. I mean, it, it goes on so long. And it takes forever. And and all it is is so they can jump up and down on the couch. Like it it's so long to go for such a little payoff. And the same uh -huh. thing and it's the same thing with the infomercial sketch. It's like, Jesus Christ, this this isn't funny and this has taken way too long. And the only value I saw in the infomercial sketch was at least we get to see Mike Myers smothering his own punchlines instead of other people's. But it's uh -huh. like the same thing. It's like, God, why are we why do we have to sit here and watch this? Um so, I mean, Bo Welch may be an excellent production designer, and I think he has been. Like, he's, he's been the production designer or the set designer for some, some, some films that I thought looked really great. Um, yeah. But judging by this, he's not much of a director. Uh, and, you know, despite how distinctive the production design is, he shoots it mostly like a sitcom. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of flat angles and basic coverage. Um, I mean, so there's not much to write home about in terms of the direction, no. uh, except for Mike Myers. I think the main actors are all fine. I mean, nobody stands out as awful to me, even the kids. Um, yeah. Alec Baldwin has a few funny bits, you know, mostly at the beginning and at the end where I, I actually I got I chuckled a little bit at some of the bits he does with the purple slime because it always whenever he touches it and moves his hands away like it, it, it kind of sticks together and leaves like this web of slime and there's a thing yeah. he does where he like he touches his forehead and then pulls his hands away and it's like attached to his forehead with the slime and the visual of that kind of I thought was kind of funny and I don't know if that was Alec Baldwin's idea or if you know that was in the script or whatever but you know that I mean we're, we're talking slim pickings here as far as as far as bits mm -hmm. in the movie that I actually kind of work um and because the the actors just don't have a whole lot to work with i mean there's no there's there's a glint of promise during the first 15 minutes but unfortunately once the cat in the hat shows up the movie becomes just like him overblown mm -hmm. 
unpleasant. And dare I say it, and I ask for forgiveness beforehand for what I'm about to say, dare I say it, old hat. Thank you and good night. My turn, Steve? Please, please, please. I don't know what it is about Hollywood's deep desire to forcibly rape children's books and then force the end product onto an a public that didn't ask for them. <laughs> I don't think there was a whole lot of people going, oh, oh, can we please, please get a live-action Dr. Seuss movie? Or a Grinch movie, for that, for oh, that matter. Yeah, yeah. Or any other. I mean, I think they only managed to make two, which is fine. But I agree with Steve. There were things in here that could have worked. Had it had any clear direction, or where it was going, or what it was trying to say... You know, if they knew who, what audience they were making it for, yeah. because I don't know who they were making it for. I guess it was for kids, but I guess they wanted to do that thing where there were jokes that adults would like, and none of them bothered to watch any of the Muppet movies to figure <laughs> out, oh, we don't need to talk about tits or being horny or, or erections or farts or butts in order for parents to enjoy the movie as much as the kids are enjoying it. They didn't have that, so they put it. And adult jokes for adults that they were like, oh, it'll go over the kids' heads. Doesn't Still doesn't make it fucking appropriate. If this movie had had a focus, they we're going to go from here to here. Cat shows up, fucks up the house. Kids eventually say, get the fuck out of here. And the cat and the hat goes by and he cleans up house and leaves. Be a weird plotless movie, <laughs> but it would be better than what they did, which was try to force a plot into this movie. Mm. They could have fleshed out the kids. Not like this. What kid can relate to weird anal retentive Nazi and kid that needs to be put in an institution? <laughs> <laughs> Not many. And that's my main problem. I mean, you can adapt and you can adapt things fine. They could have they could have added some meat to this thing to make it make a, a decent running time. But I mean, the mom never makes an appearance in the book. Right. Mom leaves, go do something, see a lover, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> but the mom gets a subplot that goes nowhere. Yeah. Two subplots that go nowhere. Crazy boss and guy who wants to fuck her money. And Yep. That doesn't. The, the guy becomes the kid's villain, right? Because mm. Conrad knows something's up, and he doesn't want to go to military school. But this movie is supposed to be about the cat in the hat, a weirdo who shows up. <laughs> My first question is, why did it have to be a guy in a suit? Why? I've always made made the argument. If you can do it practically, do it practically, but don't do CGI. Right. This is the first time where I said, he should be CGI. <laughs> and there should be a guy who they can control to do the voice of the cat in the hat. And it should just be a guy. Steve and I joked a little earlier about about the cat in the hat, in which he thought um, Mike Myers was doing uh, Bert Lahr, the cowardly lion, from The Wizard of Oz. And I said, actually, with that accent, he sounds more like Larry David. And fuck it, yeah. an animated Cat in the Hat with Larry David's voice, with jokes that are more in tune with the book, and not in tune with whatever they were trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> and make Thing 1 and Thing 2 animated. Please don't make them into horrid monstrosities that want to bite my nipples off, because that's all I could think of while yeah. I was watching the movie. 
Misguided is too little a word to describe this film. Mm. You can smell their desire to make money. You can just smell it. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We're going to make so much money off this family movie, and it's going to become a cherished classic. Or we're just going to make so much money, and we're not going to pay a real director to do it, and we don't have any vision, and we don't have any. We're just going to stuff it into theaters, and people are going to go see it, and they'll be too delirious after eating Thanksgiving dinner to know any better. I'm glad this thing got bad reviews all across the board by everyone from the public and from and from critics. Because while a lot of people complain about, oh, they're grown-up jokes and it's not really appropriate and Mike Myers has really gotten on our nerves to this point, the underlying problem that I have with the film is it has no goddamn soul. Yeah. There is nothing propping this film up as far as any clear intent as to what they were trying to say at all. And the the bad part about that is is that they added in the whole military school and the bad boss and the bad boyfriend and all that stuff to try to just give it a plot and pretend that there was something there that would make make us feel heartfelt. When the cat in the hat leaves, are we supposed to be sad that he's going? Are we supposed to be happy that the kids don't blame each other? Yeah. I don't know how to tell you this, but even when you reach adulthood, you still blame your siblings for shit that you did. <laughs> that never changes. But they put it in there to satisfy something, to try to put something in there so to pretend like it means something. It doesn't. What this is, is Mike Myers given a script he didn't write. I have no doubt that he improvs probably a bunch of shit in this thing. You're going to be hard-pressed to tell me that the whole infomercial thing was not at least partially his idea. Yeah, but I agree. everything about this is dated and old, and while you like the, de- the design style, they ripped that off from Edward Scissorhands yes, they did. with that town. There's nothing original in here. There's nothing susical in here. And Seussical and Seuss can get dark, and he can get very cynical. But none of that is present in this film. It was like, fuck it, write it, put the bare minimum in, shoot it, put it up for people to eat, do it. <laughs> we'll make our million dollars. We're DreamWorks. Where dreams go to die. <laughs> <laughs> Where we work over your dreams of watching a good movie. Nice. So I didn't like it. It's soulless. You compare compare this to the uh, you know the most famous. Yeah, I know it's not. I don't care if it's fair. Okay, I don't care if it's fair or not. Compare it to another adapted children's book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Right. At least that had a soul to it, and at least it didn't have parents and actors wildly mugging because it's a children's movie there's not a single believable performance in this entire film and that's something that they keep fucking forgetting that actors if not given or given this direction direction from the director who doesn't know what he's fucking doing he says make it big and broad for little children so they understand it and it's like children are more perceptive than that yeah you know we don't need them to wildly mug and scream and ogle and do whatever um in order for them to get involved with the story and, and, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it wasn't called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I can always get them mixed up. It's the book that's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The movie that's Willy, Willy Wonka, Wonka and the Chocolate yeah. Factory. Because um, fuck Charlie and his dreams. But <laughs> <laughs> Not your movie, kid. But, I mean, that thing is mirandering, and it goes from set piece to set piece. And there's a plot there to a certain extent. And they kind of folded in this idea with Slugworth and all of this other stuff that still that still um, associated itself with characters in the book. It gave something a little in there. We really kind of forget about it for a long time until the very end. 
so that when when Willy Wonka starts yelling at us, we <laughs> that's an impactful scene, and it also proves a point with the Charlie character having developed or having or just how pure of heart Charlie is at the end of the movie. This movie, fuck it, well, the laziest thing we can think of. Bad boyfriend house has to be clean because she has a germaphobe germaphobe boss. That's it. Where'd the dad go? What? No, shut up. No, seriously, where'd the dad go? <laughs> yeah. Is he dead? Did did Conrad kill the kill the dad? <laughs> he killed his dad. <laughs> Sorry, mom. He did kill Papa, and I have preserved him upstairs in his favorite chair, <laughs> and I sit on his lap every night, <laughs> and wish he would come back. <laughs> Goodbye, no, I kids. Didn't like it. The worst thing about this movie is that a lot of it is lazy. None of it is like engaging. None of it. I don't find it visually interesting, and I don't find any of the characters worth my time. And so by the end, I'm like, thank God it's over. And I could have sworn coronavirus is over because I've been watching this movie for so long. We have a new president. But no, I'm still stuck here in the present. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, movie. Thanks for nothing. So not a clan. It deserves its reputation, right, Steve? Oh God, yes. No, it's 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 awful. It's awful. It's awful. Hh, hey, now it's time for us to recommend a movie. Are you? Oh no, I made a mistake. I'm fucking. I'm gonna do it anyway. <gasps> hey, Steve, yeah. it's time for us. I I actually am doing a not recommend. I forgot to do a recommend. I got all mixed <laughs> hey, up. Hey, it's your had, show, my baby. My head hurt so bad. I I'm, let me see if I can find a not recommend. <laughs> a recommend. It's your show, baby. But you oh, re- I really want to not recommend this movie. Oh, you go. You okay, go. okay. I'll see what I can You see find. if you can figure something out. So, um, you know, ideally when we do these recommendations or not recommendations, it, it's I, I try to pick movies that maybe aren't as widely known or as widely seen, but sometimes I just have to bow to what my first instinct is. And the movie I'm going to recommend is a movie I'm sure most of you have already seen and maybe have seen a couple times. And maybe even it's some of you's favorite movies. I I don't know. But it's a movie that I kept thinking about over and over again when I was watching The Cat in the Hat. Uh, Jason mentioned uh, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That's another movie that I thought about while watching this movie because it seems like it rips off Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory a couple of times pretty blatantly. Uh, But I'm not recommending that. I'm recommending the other movie that I kept thinking of that I thought, wow, Cat in the Hat is really ripping off this movie. And the movie that I'm going to recommend is Beetlejuice. Because, because Beetlejuice is... Um, if, if the Cat in the Hat were made by writers and directors who had any sense of a coherent idea... <laughs> it might have come out looking and feeling something like Beetlejuice. And I I, I had the thought a couple of times watching The Cat in the Hat. I wonder how different this movie would be and how much better it would be if it had been directed by circa 1990s Tim Burton. Because I don't know if Tim Burton today could have done a whole lot with it because I feel like he's kind of on the downswing of his creative powers. But young Tim Burton, Beetlejuice, Batman, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton, I, mm. I, Edward Scissorhands, Tim Burton, because you, you mentioned the set design owes a certain debt <laughs> to, to yeah. Edward Scissorhands, especially the, the town. Um, I feel like he could have at least done something with this more than what we got. It would have at least been more interesting to look at. Um, and maybe he could have given us some kind of of sympathetic insight into the cat that that is just completely missing in this movie. So 
it, it reminds me a lot of Beetlejuice. I think the the image of them jumping up on the couch is completely ripped off from the image of them levitating uh, mm-hmm. to to uh, to um, Harry Belafonte in Beetlejuice. Um, so I'm going to say if you didn't like the cat in the hat, but you want to see something that is a lot better, albeit not perfect, but much better than the cat in the hat uh, and is, is, is much closer to the mark that to the extent that they were aiming at anything <laughs> that, they, <laughs> that they were aiming at for the cat in the hat. So I'm recommending Beetlejuice, which, you know, it's maybe a little redundant because I know a lot of you have probably already seen it, but it never hurts to watch it again because it's not a bad movie. So there you go. Yeah. Have you have you have you solved your crisis? I did. Okay. It's another movie with kids in it. Oh, boy. As you guys know, I like to recommend a film from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 2003, and there's some good movies out there, but uh, this one also features kids. One of them's kind of naughty. Uh-oh. Kind of like the Conrad character. He gets in so much trouble. Hmm. Where is he getting in trouble? In the streets of Brazil. <gasps> in Rio. Oh, boy. The movie that I'm going to recommend is City of God. Oh. Go see it. <laughs> wow, that's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck it. Quite, I don't care. Quite quite the tonal shift from uh But they're related, see, because you know, Conrad gets sure. in some trouble. The kid yeah, sure. One of the, you know, the kid character in this one shoots people. It's, so it's kind of the same. It's a really good movie. I mean I'll tell you that. It's a really, really good movie. Yeah. It's a gangster film. Yeah. It's a gangster film. Um a new take on the gangster film, a more realistic take on the gangster film. Um you know, it's one of those movies that has gorgeous colors and, and lots of stuff. And then it's, you know, the backdrop for horrible, horrible violence. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, go see it if you want to get really depressed, I guess. And <laughs> you, it'll make, watch, it'll make it, you forget all about the cat in the hat. I'll tell you that much. That's true. That's very <laughs> true. Hey, Steve, do you know what movie I didn't that I accidentally put up as a not recommend for 2003 because when I saw it I it, my fingers instinctively wrote it down to not recommend <laughs> yeah what movie were you what, what, what was it well I could have been mean and say Ang Lee's, Ang Lee's Hulk you could have but everyone on this show knows how we feel about we that did, yeah we did a whole show yeah I feel one way you feel another indeed. way indeed but this movie I hate more than Ang Lee's Hulk oh boy and you hate it too <gasps> it's Ron Maxwell's Lost Cause propaganda film <gasps> Gods and Generals. Oh, God, I do hate that movie. <laughs> we should do that movie for a show one of these days. Ugh, that would be a God, show. please, no. I mean, I don't want to have to watch the movie again, but other than that, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's such a bad movie. I know. Steve, it's time for you to make a terrible choice. Okay. As you guys okay. know, I have three, three movies that Steve will pick blindly from. Yes. And that will be the next movie that we're going to review. Yes. Now, some of you guys have been like, this isn't working. Why are you hurting us? Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. I guarantee you that all three of these films are good. Ooh. And the only pain that will occur is when Steve finds out what the other two movies were that he didn't select. Awesome. Okay. I can, I can deal okay. with this. I can deal with this. And we're doing a genre again, and this genre is foreign cinema. Ooh. Foreign cinema. Foreign so, cinema. you have to select A, B, or C. Steve, make your selection when you feel comfortable. I'm going to go with C. 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 Good. Good. You're really going to hate yourself in a second. Oh, boy. All I right. can't wait. Okay. Had you chosen A... We would have watched the foreign cinema classic, Breathless, Ooh, okay. by Jean-Luc Godard. Yeah. 
Had you chosen B, we would have watched the first sound film by Fritz Lang, M. Oh, it's such a good movie. It is such a good movie, isn't it? Yes, it it is. But you chose C, which is perfect, because we recently lost an actor that was near and dear to both of us. That was Max von Sydow. Yes, yes. And this is one of his earliest films. He's so young. (laughs) The movie that we're going to see or review next time around, we're going to see it. I mean, I just watched it. But we're going to watch it again because I like it, is Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Oh, great. It's not about the littlest seal at a a circus somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Where are the seals? I don't get it. So if you guys want to get all the jokes, because, yeah, we're going to do that to this movie. (laughs) All the Seventh Seal jokes. All the the dark Scandinavian drama jokes. (laughs) Then please rush out and watch The Seventh Seal. Make sure that it's The Seventh Seal from 1957 and not whatever fucking The Devil is a Bad Guy movie that came out a few years ago. (laughs) The Devil is a Bad Guy. Not as good. Not as good. And that's it. Thanks for listening in once again. For Late Seating, this is Jason Harding in... Go watch a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. You're going to listen to him. He drinks where he pees. I do. You do. He admits I drink, it. I drink, I drink my pee. I mean, you could have said that. That's easier. I mean, to be in your defense, because I don't want people yeah. to like jump all over you for this. I mean... I don't care. I'm proud of it. It is. It's, you know, human urine is sterile. I mean... Well, for me, you're yeah. not going to get sick from it. Like it's, you know, there's just a cultural taboo that prevents us from yeah, doing. Yeah, I put ice in it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're drinking it right now. I am. Yeah, it gets a little thick, but I don't mind it. It's great. You... I'm glad you said it. Finally, you... <laughs> finally, I said, Steve, this week is when I'm going to tell everybody that I drink my own pee. You keep saying, why do you keep bringing this up? I don't want to know it. Nobody wants to know it, but I want everyone to know it. It's why I wear this t-shirt that says, ask me about the pee that I am drinking. (laughs) Parentheses, it's mine. (laughs) Thank you for sending me that updated shirt, though. It's far more clear. Yeah. A lot of people are assuming that I was drinking somebody else's Right, and you don't don't want people to get off on the wrong foot. Like, you want them, yeah, exactly. That's right. And that's why we're so popular with Germans. Oh. Good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Poor Germans. What did they ever do to deserve such ridicule? We turned a joke about me drinking my own urine, and we just turned it around right on the turbans. That's the magic of our show. As a bunch of pee-thirsty perverts. (laughs) You know what, though? It's a mark of how far the German people have recovered since World War II, that that's what we're making fun of them for. Or how low this show has sank. That, too. (laughs) And he said to us, why did you sit there like that? I know it is wet and the sun is not sunny, but we can watch this movie. That is funny. But then the cat ruined the take and I kicked it into a nearby lake and I danced with glee because the cat would no longer make any noise that would destroy my podcast for all the good girls and boys. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. 
You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.